The bird, the bird will work. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the bird doesn't work. Yes. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. You know, our listeners in our last episode might have noticed a significant boost in our audio quality, my friend. And a significant uh, deduction in our bank accounts. <laughs> it's actually quite amazing that our wives kind of seem supportive. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got the green light. When I get an obsession, then I start going with that obsession and usually involves spending some money at some point, right? Right. So just in case people haven't figured it out, yep, you guessed it. We, uh, we spent some money, we bought some equipment. Maybe you spent more than I did. I feel kind of bad about that. No, I don't feel bad about that. Um, just this, this one seemed the best to me, and I justified it by saying that I will also record my son playing piano. Oh, nice. Good. Okay, well, in our last episode, we, uh, we talked about the hero's journey, and we, um, there was so much to unpack in the hero's journey, and I think it's something that we would probably touch on here again and again, but there's something that you touched on in the last episode related to the hero's journey that right. I think we could pick up today, and that is... The idea of the outsider as part of an integral part of the story that the individual has to leave their known environment, their known home, and its right. cultural experience in order to go out and learn something new that will benefit the community. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they become an outsider. They leave behind their hometown, friends, family... I think of Lord of the Rings where Sam and Frodo leave the Shire. And there's this one point where Sam says, he stops and they're like, what, what's going on? He's like, one more step. And this, yes. is, this is the part what of a, What a fantastic line, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, and, and there's like a point of departure where once you cross that line, you can no longer turn back. You see this in a lot of movies, a lot of stories. Um, I think of Bugs Life <laughs> that first comes to mind just because my kids were growing up at the time when right. a lot of those Pixar movies came out. Uh, that's a classic one. Yeah, the bug. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but in the bug's life, he you know falls in love with the princess, and yeah. uh, but he's just a nobody. He's a, right. He feels you know insignificant, yeah. and ends up having to leave the community. Um, and in the course of that, um, has has an adventure, has a spiritual adventure, you might say. Right. And well, his name was Flick. I remember. Flick. You got it, Flick. Yeah, and. Um, and then he recruits, uh, I think, a series of uh, circus performers or various <laughs> kinds of bugs. Yep. And they go back to um, essentially save the uh, community. Yeah, that's right. I think Flick originally causes the trouble because he, he's he's kind of an inventor and he thinks outside the box. And the entire ant community is so right. uh, conservative and risk averse. And but one of his inventions kind of kickstarts a. Kick, cataclysmic event and they lose the harvest right and the, exactly right and the grasshoppers come and and, and this sets the whole story in motion he's, he's trying to be helpful yes he but he doesn't quite know where he fits or how he fits yeah i just remember watching those movies so much because your kids just want to watch it again and again and again even to this day like my wife and i will quote lines from these old movies and, and even bugs life every time i have a cockamamie idea i'm like the bird, the bird will work. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the bird doesn't work. Yes. This kind of reminds me a bit of our, our first episode, because in our first episode, we talked about uh, you and I uh, leaving behind um, the world we were a part of, and then kind of accidentally hooking up with a bunch of other people. Uh, we called this group SOMA, and we've been meeting with for seven years, and it kind of feels like that, where I felt like an outsider, you felt like an outsider, everyone who sort of 
met that first time and then we've right. continued to have sort of felt that. In, in fact, for a while there, I think we were called the Outsiders. Yeah, we just sort of fell on that name because it was a group of people who were either not going to church very actively or questioning whether they should go to church very often and, and being somewhat disgruntled about it, mm-hmm. not fitting in. Um, you know, we've talked about some of our journey out of the church. And, and for me, you know, we did, we've gone through many different kinds of churches over the years. And you sit there for a while and you listen for a while. And, mm-hmm. But there's something, there's some kind of a disconnection that comes. Mm-hmm. And you just think, you know, I could keep sitting here. I could keep listening. But there's something missing, you know. And you start to question um, some of the ways things are presented. You, I, I find often people question the music. They become just mm-hmm. kind of annoyed with some of the way it's done, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's because that part of leaving is a cultural shift, yeah. And when once you start to experience that cultural shift, um, you find it harder to stay in, you know, in that place in that community because you realize that you're you, you're kind of moving into a different headspace. Yeah, and it's it's internal for sure. Like you definitely feel like an outsider, but then you definitely get external cues. Like people around you are starting to uh, treat you like an outsider, right? And, and often it it can come down to. Um, you know, things you believe are just things you're questioning. Uh, I mean, our, our second episode about hell, I mean, that kind of puts you on the uh, um, heretic watch list <laughs> if you question something like that. Uh, but it, it, it continued for, for us, right? Like we, we, we deconstructed a lot of ideas. And this podcast isn't primarily about the deconstruction of our faith, but I think it will pop up from time. It, it's inescapable. But I, I do think there are lots of people who listen who are themselves going through de- deconstruction. Yeah. And, and what do we mean by deconstruction? Essentially moving from yeah. one place to another mm-hmm. in your expression of faith and there is a degree to which that is cultural, right? Mm-hmm. All churches are cultural um, places, you know, like there's a, in, in the New Testament it talks about the wine skin. Nobody wants the new wine mm-hmm. once they've tasted the old wine, you know? Right. Um, it, it, it's a metaphor for a system, you know, a container. Yeah. And churches are in a sense containers. They're not simply a place where you go to listen to music or hear someone preach. They're also a cultural container. Yeah. And the people that gather there share have a shared expression. And when you're moving away from that, you start noticing and wanting to ask questions or experiences. You, you're wondering how things will fit. There's one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. It says, In my Father's house is many rooms. If, if that were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so... Uh, it's John um, fourteen two, and I I had that scripture on my mind on and off for years, and you know so the tr- traditional way of thinking about it that is after you die, mm-hmm. um, you go to heaven and up there somewhere Jesus has been framing up some rooms now you get your room right right and so and then referring to that horizontal way of reading it that we've talked about right. Um, I think the context is Jesus is speaking to the disciples who are asking Jesus, we know about the synagogue, we know about the temple, mm. we know how the whole religious system works here and now, but we don't understand where we fit. Right. And so I think and from a horizontal perspective, Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a place for you in the culture, in the here and now. It's not something that's going to happen after you die. Again, it's like you see the whole world defined by synagogue and, you know, um, all of Jerusalem and Israel is, is centered in this, you know, this this religious system, but I'm I'm creating something new. 
And so I wonder, is that possible again? You know, we, we have a sort of a, solid, a church system yeah. that people know about and have their opinions about, and, and there's various flavors and types. Yeah. Um, but is God doing something by having people, you know, many people have left it, outsiders yeah. become outsiders. Is that a part of something God is doing? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's interesting, again, that you take that verse, that particular verse, and you sort of look at it with a horizontal lens, because that would have been a part of the group of verses for me uh, that I would have put together to construct this sort of gospel, classic classic kind of evangelical gospel message. Like, I remember using that exact verse. Um, and also, later on, Jesus talks about, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the right. Father except through me. And that would have been a very, very consistent um use of that verse. Um, you mix that with John 3.16, you mix that with a few verses in Romans, and you put together this great vertical view of salvation, right? right? And like basically, again, I think I want to maybe um, take a second to just to talk about how maybe our views have changed. A classic evangelical view there would be a real emphasis on the conversion experience. It's funny that we actually talked about our quote-unquote conversion experience this last episode. But... Um, that would be like a moment in time where we would literally say, that's when I got saved. Like right. The day before I was lost going to hell. It's and the, the turning point. The day after I'm now going to heaven and it's about heaven and it's about the, the verticalness of it. Um, and here you are taking one of those, one of those famous verses we would have used for the vertical message and, and applying it to something horizontal. And the thing is, now that I think about it, that is one of the things that started to topple my, my, um, my faith construction, right, was was that I had taken all of these verses kind of out of context, just a bit here, a bit there, yeah, a bit there. Cut and paste. Cut yeah. and paste. Didn't really think about what what the context culturally or historically or even liter- literary was around it. And you kind of put together this message and and you you really emphasize that, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, which is which is a very a strong evangelical emphasis from from Paul's teaching. Absolutely. But like faith, what is that? And I think we would have, or I would have had thought of that more like just believing the certain list of things, right? Yeah. So like Jesus said, your statement of faith, you 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 got to have these set things on there, and yeah. it's either a yes or a no. It's a litmus test, right? And and you're kind of in or out based on whether you say you believe those things. You don't even have to be a nice person, but if you believe those things, you're you're in. And like Jesus said, something like, uh, "You will know them by their fruits." And but it's more like with with evangelicals, you will know them by their statement of faith. Right. That's a huge one, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I took a theology course where I had to make a statement of faith. And it's a very, yeah, that's a very artificial mm-hmm. way of generating um, your belief system. Because yeah. I think, in, in truth, my belief system and my experience with God are all interwoven together. Mm-hmm. I've, I've studied the Bible on and off for years. But it's the things that have clicked where I feel like God has shown me something. And the reason I brought up that verse about in, in my father's house and mm-hmm. my rooms, because I, I struggled a lot even early on as a Christian. One of the first things I felt like uh, I thought God was saying to me was, you need to go and be part of the church. Yeah. And it was like, you know, can't I just be a Christian and not be a part of the church? Yeah. And Alex and I were fairly new, newly married, new Christians, I guess, and... 
we went to all these different churches. We were in Vancouver at the time, and, you know, the Pentecostal church where they pray for you and people fall down, and the church where it's just so boring that you feel like you're going to fall into a coma. There's <laughs> all these different churches that we went to, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we were sort of looking for that place. And in the end, we ended up in Winnipeg at a, at a church in Winnipeg. And But still, I was always struggling with, okay, I'm connected to a group of people that feels and looks and thinks differently than any people I see on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so I remember bringing one Monday morning all of these friends of my brother and connections, and every, every single person was dressed in black, <laughs> you know, black hair, black outfits, you know, jewelry on, gothic jewelry. We're all sitting there, an entire <laughs> row in the church, you know, and it's like, and that, that kind of defines the beginning of a lot of my journey has been how do I um, connect my cultural experience and background, my need to belong with something that um, feels different, sounds different, doesn't always fit who I am, you know. So you've been kind of an outsider since the beginning. I, I think it's, you know, and honestly, I think it's something I've struggled with my whole life. It, it goes back to um, coming to Canada at 13 and and. And just feeling different, you know, my first day of school when I was uh, in Canada, I, I wore my school uniform to school, you know, and I, <laughs> why I did that, I, I don't know. I guess it was it was normalcy to me. Right. But I had entered into a new, uh, you know, a new environment, a new culture. And so I, I've struggled with that on and off in my life. And that's probably all part and parcel of becoming a Christian. So once I did become a Christian, I looked around and I, I looked for people like me that I could connect with and st- because it's not enough to just go to a church. I think you're also looking for people who speak the same language as yeah. you. Yeah. And if you go to a church and they, and they sound different, you know, they, they act different, they dress different, it's alienating. Yeah. So I can see why John 14 would be meaningful to you, right? He's, he's saying that I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place for you in, in this family, in this house. Right. And, um, and, um, and I think that a part of that is is you know meeting people who are also on a, on that journey, right, and, and catching up with each other. And again, that gets us back to that hero's journey of you leave behind the world, you become an outsider, the world you knew, the ordinary world, you become an outsider, and then along this path, you start to meet other outsiders, right? And you, yeah, it, it's a process of identity change. So being an outsider and um, trying to find that place where God is moving you and, and putting you. Is is part of the spiritual journey that every I believe everybody's on at some level, um, but we know, and I I know personally many people who grew up in the church or participated in the church or, or in different ways. You know, in the ministry that that we uh, started called the Red Herring, but a good chunk of them g- gave up along the way. Um, you know, changed their you know were not able to make their faith work with the wider culture. And mm-hmm. so you kind of are faced with a choice. You could stay in the church, but it's small and it feels culturally disconnected from the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Or you can um, just go with your friendship circle in the world mm-hmm. and, and process on your back burner of your mind, you know, how does my faith still operate? But it's not, it's not integrated meaningfully and it's tough to integrate. When I, Realized that we were going to talk about the outsiders. I wanted to really tell a story uh, from Jesus's life, from his hero's journey, and it was early in the in the narrative. And it's the story where Jesus becomes an outsider, like literally overnight, um, where he's in his hometown. 
He's with his family, his friends, everyone he grew up with. And then something happens. And they literally, they get so angry and so full of rage, they, they push him out and they want to throw him off a cliff. Like they literally want to kill him. And it's so, it's so weird, but it's so fascinating. And, but there's a lot of parallels, I think, in this story to maybe our experience and others who might be listening. Um, so what could Jesus possibly do or say that would cause like uncles and aunts and people he grew up with to want to kill him? And it, it came down to something um, that he said in church one day. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's basically he read the Bible differently than everyone else. Um, and it triggered an incredible reaction. Um, so I want to just quickly tell the story. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 4. And uh, Jesus is attending synagogue on the Sabbath day. And uh, he, is, he stands up to read. And they hand him a scroll, a book, and it's the book of Isaiah. And he opens up to a particular verse in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61. And I'm not going to go into like the background on this verse because it would take too much time. Uh, but, but basically, like Isaiah 61 was a very popular, it was a very famous, inspiring, comforting verse for, for, the, for the people of Israel and for the people right. in Jesus' day, right? It's like our, it would be like our John 3.16 or something right, like that. Yeah. And uh, it was everyone's favorite passage. And, um, and basically, when, when, when you're under a foreign Gentile power uh, that's controlling your life, this is the verse you cling to. It's Isaiah 61. Right. Uh, originally in Isaiah's day, it was about the Babylonians who, were in, who, 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 were, uh, who had brought the inhabitants of Jerusalem over to exile and destroyed their city. But in Jesus' day, obviously that Gentile power was Rome, right? And so Jesus uh, picks up this passage and everyone thinks they know what it means and everyone has incredible hope and expectation in this verse. And I'm going to read it just so I don't mess it up. This is what what he says. He reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closes the book and he gives it back to the attendant. What's interesting about it is he actually stops mid-verse and he doesn't quote it fully, which is really right, strange. Right, he leaves off yeah, some of the more uh, harsher stuff. Yeah, like he, the, there's a whole part about the day of the vengeance of our God. So to the people listening to Jesus, it was like healing, um, <clears throat> sorry, healing the brokenhearted and giving freedom to captives and all, and sight to the blind. Their interpretation was, this is what this holy one this Messiah is going to do for us, for us Jews, us Israelites. And then yeah, the day of... An, there was an us and them in there. There was an they, us and this them. This is all good news for us and bad news for everybody else. <laughs> and for everyone else, for that Gentile power, it was the day of vengeance. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't actually... He stops there and he doesn't quote that one. So then Jesus says something quite amazing. He goes, today this verse is fulfilled in your, hear, in your hearing, right? Right. And um, they... They listen to him. I mean, that's quite a statement. He's literally saying this is going to come true today. Like, what? Rome is going to fall? What? Are you, Jesus, saying you're this anointed one that's going to right. do this? And, uh, and, uh, but they're not mad at him. They're actually marveling. There's actually a phrase that says they start to marvel at his gracious words. And they, they were like, isn't this Joseph's boy? Like, wow, what's he saying? Where, how did he get to know all this stuff? Uh, but then, so everything's going good. 
But then something happens. Jesus says something and the whole thing turns around. It goes south. He says something so insulting, so um, scandalizing that people literally want to kill him. Uh, And he instantly becomes an outsider that day. And so he goes on and he talks about widows, lepers, and Gentiles. And I think from, from us reading from the 21st century, like we're like, I'm not sure why they're getting so mad about this. But he, he says something like, you know, there were a lot of widows in the days of Elijah uh, that were in Israel, Jewish right. ones. But it was a Gentile widow that Elijah uh, visited, went to. Um, and then it was like, there's a lot of lepers in the days of Elisha, but he, he, uh, he cleaned and he, ha- he cleansed and healed Naaman, who was a Syrian, a Gentile. Right. And when they heard this, they literally got up, they pushed him out of the city, and they tried to throw him off a cliff, and it, it didn't take. Uh, so Jesus takes this favorite passage, and they understood this to be that the Messiah was going to save and heal and free them while giving vengeance and violence to their Gentile overlords. Right. But instead, Jesus says, I'm coming for outsiders. He says, I'm coming for vulnerable women, widows, lepers, and especially Gentiles. And this so confronted, deep-rooted um, pain, maybe, uh, just racism, um, religious intolerance, whatever it was, that they were literally enraged to the point of, of killing Joseph's kid, you know, and they pushed him out of the city. Well, I, mean, I think ultimately the thing that, um, that threatens Jesus and, and the thing that leads to his crucifixion is he, he is challenging the religious system, right? That's, so when he's saying in my father's house in many rooms, it, it is a challenge to the synagogue. The same thing with um, you know, the cleansing of the temple. You know, he's cleansing mm-hmm. the outer court of the temple, which is intended, you know, one of its intentions was the outer court of the Gentiles. So mm-hmm. it's essentially saying you are, you know, you've turned the outer court, a place that should be to meet God and worship God, into a place where you're you're making money. Mm-hmm. And it so it's it's undermining the purpose of the temple. You know, so many stories, you know, the good Samaritan, mm-hmm. an outsider, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true, like he collects outsiders along the way. Like he literally starts to walk out this verse. Right. Like, uh, and, and along the way, he just, a band of outsiders start to form around him. And he ultimately does get crucified by the company because of the company he kept. It wasn't really anything but the fact that they couldn't get over the fact that he would you know, touch lepers or hang out with prostitutes or accept tax collectors. Like these are all people that you just, they would consider sinful. They would have considered you don't hang out with these people and he was eating with them and he was accepting them. And that was super radical. It was super political. It was super revolutionary. And we really miss that sometimes when we read back into it. Of course, maybe the vertical is a standard way we go, Mark, because we maybe it takes too much time or effort to really look at the horizontal. But there's something powerful going on here with this group of outsiders. Well, I think I, I think today um, there's a, I think it was a, a philosopher René Girard said he essentially became a Christian because he recognized in the victim narrative a, 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 a truth that was greater. You know, so wow. that the victim has you know like the Good Samaritan and you know all these stories t- are telling of the woman at the well. You know. Um, they they have they connect with Jesus on a on a level it says you know like the tax collectors and prostitutes enter into the kingdom before you know 
uh, before the the good <laughs> Pharisees, you know. Right, right. So, in other words, they have a shortcut to what God is doing. Well, that that's going to make you mad if your whole system is is built on you being right and you being first. We we do have a church system that feels a little fossilized at times to many people. Mm-hmm. And it's easy, it is easy to kind of beat up and say, look, you know, they're the Pharisees because now they don't recognize these new views, these new ideas. We mm-hmm. need to be careful. I just want to provide some balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think God is doing something in the church in that, it, you know, it's the same thing he's always been doing, essentially, is, is getting us to recognize that people that don't fit in in the, in the wineskin and don't fit in the... Um, in the framework, and he's still creating something new. And maybe, you know, we've seen the church decline since the 1960s and the Cultural Revolution incredibly, and many, many people have given up trying to make their face fit with the existing Mm -hmm. institution and cultures. But I I think the good news is that shows that God is, I I believe, a a new wineskin is coming, something new is happening. And and people who are struggling, to encourage them, not to give up on your faith, but to um, to recognize that being the outsider and having that experience is a part of the spiritual journey that God is taking many people on. It seems today more than ever, people are still drawing these lines, like you say, like that. There's that us and them sort of dualism that's going on, right? And we, it's easy to point that out in religious circles, but it seems like it's human nature. Like it's it's human nature to feel. Uh, pious and to say, you know, I have the truth and it's us. If you, if you believe these things, you're on my side. And if you don't believe these things, you're one of them. And I'm seeing the same thing in secular culture with, with atheists, with the right, with the left. It's like, um, we, we referenced the other day, um, Nietzsche talking about God is dead and he was seeing the decline of, of, of a belief in Christianity in, in this, in the culture. But it's like people are just replacing religion with something else. And it's still at the end of the day, it's aggressive. It's kind of violent. It's kind of like if you don't talk the way I talk, then you're, you're kind of the enemy. Uh, it's kind of the way that Jesus was treated by his family. And it, it doesn't even have to be over religious things. It's still there. And I think what, what our society might, might want to consider is that at least with the Judaic Christian sort of roots that we have, mm-hmm. it is an it's an old old religion. It's an old idea, and at least if the, what's rooted in Jesus is that there's about there's something about like love, and there's something about forgiving people, and there's something about like loving your enemies, right? And, and yeah, those those are deep uh, deep truths that are very hard to do, you know, yeah. because. Um, I also say that I, in some ways it's not about religion. It's mm-hmm. about how human the human spirit functions because you can read the Bible, and, th- and that was the problem the Pharisees had, right? You can read the Bible and you can know the verses, mm-hmm. but it doesn't produce any grace in your heart towards other people. It, yeah. it makes you legalistic and harsh, and, yeah. and, you, and because you have that, that legalistic rule-based mindset that, um, y- you know, and, and that's some of the things that I think whenever you get a group of people together it becomes kind of a formalized group or church or community mm-hmm. there is a tendency over time for that you know these are the rules these are this is our list of what is acceptable and what we don't tolerate and so the the gift of the outsider is to see things differently mm-hmm. to have an invention that doesn't work to have you know a way <laughs> of making music that doesn't fit in to 
um, you know, to just see and do things differently. And so there's a value in that because um, it can help the community become less, um, less brittle. Yeah. Um, reverse, you know, in the reverse sense too, that, that individual usually has to suffer and usually has to <laughs> go on a journey right. so that they gain, they gain the humility and the ability to be able to uh, present those those advantages or those truths back to the community. Right. Cause you're right. That's the hero's journey. They, they leave the community, but at, at some point in the story, they come back and they bring what they have learned uh, to, uh, they come back to that community and to bring great help and salvation. And, uh, even with bugs life flick, you know, his, his cockamamie bird idea actually does save the entire colony. What cultures are good at, what groups are good at is protecting individuals. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people are, um, wired up to be group. Most people are wired up to be group oriented. Um, I, I do this thing in my classroom when I, I have, I do hand in folders and I, you know, I, I make projects and kids have to hand them in. And I've noticed over the years, um, that let's say I make a hand in folder for the book cover and I'll, I'll get, you know, 15 kids will hand it in on time. And then I've got five kids who didn't hand it in. So, um, I have to have a way of communicating to the five kids because what will happen is if I make a folder that says marked and I put the 15 that are marked in there, mm-hmm. the other five kids will follow the group and put them all in the marked folder. <laughs> and I'll say, well, it doesn't not make sense to you. I'll have to explain to them that means I've marked it. Well, why did you, you know, why did you go one step beyond just the folder and put it in with the, well, because everybody else was in there. Right. You know, and it, it's, it sounds kind of ludicrous, but it's, I've noticed it over and over again, yeah. you know, is that people behave as a group. They, they figure out what the norms are. They figure out what the practices are in your classroom, and most people go along with it. And, and that's the strength of a culture until you need to make a change. Right. Or somebody has a change that's better, and then the group <clears throat> resists it. So um, we need outsiders to kind of pull society along, right? Like take the next yeah. step in our evolution, in our progress. And I think that's a that's a theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know. So um, one of the thoughts I've had about the group and about the individual who is who is the outsider, mm-hmm. um, I, I connected with um, Hebrews thirteen twelve. It says, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood, and um, it literally it says, I think, without the gate. So in other words, in the ancient a world, the gate was it was a very necessary protection against mm-hmm. you know people who might come to burn down your uh, your home or right. steal your stuff or whatever. Right. It's a more uh, tend to be more violent place. So Jesus is is essentially being crucified outside the city outside of the city camp. You know, so and there's a disgrace in that because it means you're outside the protection of the community. Wow! But it's that outsideness and that um, lack of protection that is necessary for the salvation changing uh, reality to happen because wow. some, something happens when an individual who exists as an outsider and goes off and suffers and does something that um, gains them an insight, gains them an ability that then they willingly go back and help the community. That that you know, in a, in a very small sense, if you've ever had a marriage problem, you get a counselor, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, the best counselors have also had problems. They've also suffered or you know gone through difficult times, and they have then that gives them the ability to then help you as you. But you need someone from outside your family system, outside of your community structure, sometimes to come in to be able to provide that insight, that salvation, you know, whether it be a small salvation or be, you know, 
salvation in, 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 through Christ. Um, God needs to uh, send someone first out to be able to learn and understand and, and have that realization and then often sends back into the community to provide what has been has, has been developed and grown through that suffering and that experience. Now, that protection is super interesting. It, it reminds me of what I brought up in our first episode when I actually left the church. It published this book, and it was sort of my goodbye, my farewell. Right. And then I had people tell me, you know, this is dangerous. You're if you leave, you're going to it's fall. dangerous. Yeah, it <laughs> is dangerous. Yeah, and because you're basically leaving the protected gate of our community, right? And we right. can't we can't protect you. We don't. We, you're, you're in trouble if you leave the if you leave the city. Uh, but yet, I needed to. I needed to, to 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 go on this journey to get that thing that I could never get if I stayed back behind the walls. And I think that is actually a part of how um, God works through uh, spiritual growth, you know, like we tend to read uh, scriptures sometimes as kind of these little fossilized things. And I think our challenge is to try to apply them to our lives and see how the patterns that are in scripture are the same spiritual patterns that are happening to us. Yeah. And that God works essentially, I think, the same way all the time. He's, he's always got some scheme that he's working um, to to grow us, to um, to teach us. You know, and, and some, I think God does call certain individuals to be those outsiders, to be individuals who go on ahead and sometimes suffer, sometimes have to overcome incredible obstacles because mm-hmm. it's a part of the spiritual journey. You think of, you know, Moses. Moses was uh, really had the best position in the house in Egypt, ends up having to leave and go and tend sheep for years and years and years right. before he could come back and then be the mouthpiece to help free, um, you know, the, the slaves in, in Egypt. Um, you think of Joseph. Joseph and his brothers throw him in a pit, and he ends up going into, again, into Egypt, and mm-hmm. Egypt being a symbol of a, of a system that is cruel and oppressive. Yeah. And he rises to the top in that system so that at the right moment, at the right time, he's able to help his brothers and family. So there's always that individual who God has on a trajectory and he's preparing them to provide something that is necessary, that, that salvation for the group. The challenge is you can have faith-based, you can have experiences in life that, that tell you things and that give you meaning, but having knowledge of the scriptures provides um, insight that can help speed up your learning and speed up your ability to put things right in your life and, and grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what we're trying to do with this podcast is provide a little bit of that outside voice. Um, we, we've been on a journey. We've been processing a lot of these things. We, in a sense, we've left and we've been outside the camp and, you know, but we haven't given up trying to connect with God and connect with Jesus. And we're trying to now share what it is we've learned and how we've managed to continue in, in our faith. Yeah. I think of the, the exile uh, we referenced earlier from, well, the Isaiah 61 passage Jesus wrote, read from, he would have been uh, writing at the time of the exile. Um, and, you know, all of these people are captured. Whoever survives is dragged to Babylon and their city and their temple is destroyed. And they live in Babylon for the next 70 years. Right. And they literally live there under a foreign culture that doesn't know their culture, doesn't know their traditions, doesn't know their scriptures. There's no more temple. There's no more system. And they have to find a way to f- 
find faith to move forward in this foreign culture with with none of the props that they had before. And I kind of think that's a very good illustration or metaphor for what's happening today. It it it's like you're you're going to go deep and you're going to um, you're going to start seeking. You're going to start digging because if it's not working and and your your foundation is is not supporting you any longer, you know you need something. You need something more. And yeah. I, that's been my personal experience. Um, I made uh, you know a conscious decision just to keep seeking God. Mm-hmm. And even though I was extremely unhappy in my life at one point, and I, I just felt like God had kind of abandoned me in, in many ways, but I just said, well, I'm going to keep praying and keep seeking God. And now what I've realized is that's kind of how the whole thing works, you know, that God deliberately brings you through these uh, seasons of, of leaving, departure, leaving home, and, and that he has a purpose in it and he has a plan in it. And that's... Um, I do believe that we're trying to speak to some of these outsiders that are that may be listening. Mm-hmm. Is that God has a plan for you, and God has a purpose in your sense of disconnection. It's not by accident. Mm-hmm. It's not because you're a bad person or you don't didn't read your Bible enough or any of those things. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's something God is doing in our culture, and He's inviting people and He's looking for people to keep persisting, keep reaching out, keep seeking, and making that connection. Because I I do think a new thing is coming, a, a new way of expressing faith, a new way of connecting with um, to Jesus that doesn't throw everything away, mm-hmm. but is, is, is present and takes into consideration the culture that we're part of now. Yeah, I agree, Mark. And those outsiders out there that are listening, uh, maybe some of you have are like me or, or have been like me, and uh, I've referenced this a few times so far in our podcast, um, I definitely came to points where I didn't know if I didn't, I didn't think there was a God or if there is a God, it's maybe God isn't personal or some kind of force or something. Cause I just, I just didn't make sense in the world anymore. Um, but I, I want to encourage you, um, to stop and maybe think, um, uh, about your future, about what you, how you want to live the rest of your life. Um, and, and, and maybe there is a way to, uh, to re um, to rediscover faith and rediscover God and rediscover Christ uh, that would look nothing like maybe what you once knew, but it's it's a way forward um, because there's so much there. There's so much depth. There's so much history. There's a lot of value there, and um, I would be really reluctant to just throw it all away. All right. Until next time. Mm-hmm.